Story four of Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, nineteen o seven to nineteen o eight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Crow Girl. Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, nineteen o seven to nineteen o eight, by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Story four Aunt Caroline's Silk Dress. Patty came in from her walk to the post-office with cheeks finely reddened by the crisp air. Carrie surveyed her with pleasure. Of late, Patty's cheeks had been entirely too pale to please Carrie, and Patty had not had a very good appetite. Once or twice she had even complained of a headache. So Carrie had sent her to the office for a walk that night, although the post-office trip was usually Carrie's own special constitutional, all was very welcome to her after a weary day of sewing on other people's pretty dresses. Carrie never sewed on pretty dresses for herself, for the simple reason that she never had any pretty dresses. Carrie was twenty-two, and feeling forty. Her last pretty dress had been when she was a girl of twelve, before her father had died. To be sure, there was the silk organdy Aunt Kathleen had sent her, but that was fit only for parties, and Carrie never went to any parties. "'Did you get any mail, Patty?' she asked unexpectedly. There was never much mail for the Lee girls. "'Yes'm,' said Patty briskly. Here's the weekly advocate, and a patent medicine almanac with all your dreams expounded, and a letter for Miss Carrie M. Lee. It's postmarked Enfield, and has a suspiciously matrimonial look. I'm sure it's an invitation to Chris Fairley's wedding. Hurry up and see, Caddy. Carrie, with a little flush of excitement on her face, opened her letter. Sure enough, it contained an invitation to be present at the marriage of Christine Fairley. How jolly! exclaimed Patty. "'Of course you'll go, Caddy. You'll have a chance to wear that lovely organdy of yours at last.' "'It was sweet of Chris to invite me,' said Carrie. "'I really didn't expect it.' "'Well, I did. Wasn't she your most intimate friend when she lived in Enderby?' "'Oh, yes, but it's four years since she left, and some people might forget in four years. But I might have known Chris wouldn't. Of course I'll go.' "'And you'll make up your organdy?' "'I shall have to,' laughed Carrie, forgetting all her troubles for a moment, and feeling young and joyous over the prospect of a festivity. "'I haven't another thing that would do to wear to a wedding. If I hadn't that blessed organdy, I couldn't go, that's all. But you have it, and it will look lovely made up with a tucked skirt. Tucks are so fashionable right now, and there's that lace of mine you can have for a Bertha. I want you to look just right, you see. Enfield is a big place, and there will be lots of grandees at the wedding.' Let's get the last fashion sheet and pick out a design right away. Here's one on the very first page that would be nice. You could wear it to perfection, Caddy. You're so tall and slender. It wouldn't suit a plump and podgy person like myself at all. Carrie liked the pattern, and they had an animated discussion over it. But in the end, Carrie sighed and pushed the sheet away from her, with all the brightness gone out of her face. It's no use, Patty. I'd forgotten for a few minutes, but it's all come back now. I can't think of weddings and new dresses, when the thought of that interest crowds everything else out. It's due next month, fifty dollars, and I've only ten saved up. I can't make forty dollars in a month, even if I had any amount of sewing, and you know hardly anyone wants sewing done just now. I don't know what we shall do. Oh, I suppose we can rent a couple rooms in the village and exist in them, but it breaks my heart to think of leaving our old home. Perhaps Mr. Kerr will let us have more time, suggested Patty, not very hopefully. The sparkle had gone out of her face, too. Patty loved their little home as much as Carrie did. "'You know he won't. 
He has been only too anxious for an excuse to foreclose this long time. He wants the land the house is on. Oh, if only I hadn't been sick so long in the summer, just when everybody had sewing to do. I've tried so hard to catch up, but I couldn't. Carrie's voice broke in a sob. Patty leaned over the table and patted her sister's glossy dark hair gently. "'You've worked too hard, dearie. You've just gone to skin and bone. Oh, I know how hard it is. I can't bear to think of leaving this dear old spot, either. If we could only induce Mr. Kerr to give us a year's grace, I'd be teaching then, and we could easily pay the interest and some of the principal, too. Perhaps he will, if we both go to him and coax very hard. Anyway, don't worry over it till after the wedding. I want you to go and have a good time. You never have good times, Carrie. "'Neither do you,' said Carrie rebelliously. "'You never have anything that other girls have, Patty, not even pretty clothes.' "'Deed, and I've lots of things to be thankful for,' said Patty cheerily. "'Don't you fret about me. I'm vain enough to think I've got some brains anyway, and I'm a-meaning to do something with them, too. Now I think I'll go upstairs and study this evening. It will be warm enough here tonight, and the noise of the machine rather bothers me.' Patty whisked out, and Carrie knew she should go to her sewing but she sat a long while at the table in dismal thought. She was so tired and so hopeless. It had been such a hard struggle, and it seemed now as if it would all come to naught. For five years, ever since her mother's death, Carrie had supported herself and Patty by dressmaking. They had been a hard five years of pinching and economizing and going without, for Enderby was only a small place, and there were two other dressmakers. Then there was always the mortgage to devour everything. Carrie had kept it at bay till now, but at last she was conquered. She had had typhoid fever in the spring, and had not been able to work for a long time. Indeed, she had gone to work before she should. The doctor's bill was yet unpaid, but Dr. Hamilton had told her to take her time. Carrie knew she would not be pressed for that, and next year Patty would be able to help her. But next year would be too late. The dear little home would be lost then. When Carrie roused herself from her sad reflections, she saw a crumpled note lying on the floor. She picked it up and absently smoothed it out. Seeing Patty's name at the top, she was about to lay it aside without reading it, but the lines were few, and the sense of them flashed into Carrie's brain. The note was an invitation to Claire Forbes' party. The Lee girls had known that the Forbes girls were going to give a party, but they had not expected that Patty would be invited. Of course, Claire Forbes was in Patty's class at school, and was always very nice and friendly with her. But then the Forbes set was not the Lee set. Carrie ran upstairs to Patty's room. Patty, you dropped this on the floor. I couldn't help seeing what it was. Why didn't you tell me Claire had invited you? Because I knew I couldn't go, and I thought you would feel badly over that. Caddy, I wish you hadn't seen it. Oh, Patty, I do wish you could go to the party. It was so sweet of Claire to invite you, and perhaps she will be offended if you don't go. She won't understand. Claire Forbes isn't a girl whose friendship is to be lightly thrown away when it's offered. I know that. But, Caddy, dear, it is impossible. I don't think that I have any foolish pride about clothes, but you know it is out of the question to think of going to Claire Forbes' party in my last winter's plaid dress, which is a good two inches too short and skimpy in proportion. Putting my own feelings aside, it would be an insult to Claire. There, don't think any more about it. But Carrie did think about it. She lay awake half the night, wondering if there might not be some way for Patty to go to that party. She knew it was impossible unless Patty had a new dress, and how could a new dress be had? Yet she did so want Patty to go. Patty never had any good times, and she was studying so hard. Then, all at once, Carrie thought of a way by which Patty might have a new dress. 
She had been tossing restlessly, but now she lay very still, staring with wide-open eyes at the moonlit window, with the big willow boughs branching darkly across it. Yes, it was a way, but could she? Could she? Yes, she could, and she would. Carrie buried her face in her pillow with a sob and a gulp, but she had decided what must be done and how it must be done. "'Are you going to begin on your organdy today?' asked Patty in the morning, before she started for school. "'I must finish Mrs. Pigeon's suit first, Carrie answered. "'Next week will be time enough to think about my wedding garments.' She tried to laugh and failed. Patty thought with a pang that Carrie looked horribly pale and tired. Probably she had worried most of the night over the interest. "'I am so glad she is going to Chris's wedding,' thought Patty, as she hurried down the street." It will take her out of herself and give her something nice to think of for ever so long. Nothing more was said that week about the organdy or the wedding or the Forbes's party. Carrie sewed fiercely and sat at her machine for hours after Patty had gone to bed. The night before the party she said to Patty, Braid your hair tonight, Patty. You'll want it nice and wavy to go to the Forbes's tomorrow night. Patty thought that Carrie was actually trying to perpetrate a weak joke and endeavored to laugh. But it was a rather dreary laugh. Patty, after a hard evening's study, felt tired and discouraged, and she was really dreadfully disappointed about the party, although she wouldn't have let Carrie suspect it for the world. "'You're going, you know,' said Carrie, as serious as a judge, although there was a little twinkle in her eyes. "'In a faded plaid, two inches too short,' Patty smiled as brightly as possible. "'Oh, no, I have a dress all ready for you.' Carrie opened the wardrobe door and took out the loveliest girlish dress of creamy organdy, with pale pink roses scattered over it, made with the daintiest of ruffles and tucks, with a bertha of soft creamy lace and a girdle of white silk. "'This is for you,' said Carrie. Patty gazed at the dress with horror-stricken eyes. "'Caroline Lee, that is your organdy! And you've gone and made it up for me! Carrie Lee, what are you going to wear to the wedding?' "'Nothing.' I'm not going. You are. You must. You shall. I won't take the organdy. You'll have to now, because it's made to fit you. Come, Patty, dear, I've set my heart on your going to that party. You mustn't disappoint me. You can't. For what good would it do? I can never wear the dress now. Patty realized that. She knew she might as well go to the party, but she did not feel much pleasure in the prospect. Nevertheless, when she was ready for it the next evening, she couldn't help a little thrill of delight. The dress was so pretty and dainty and becoming. "'You look sweet,' exclaimed Carrie admiringly. "'There, I hear the Browns' carriage. Patty, I want you to promise me this, that you'll not let any thought of me or my not going to the wedding spoil your enjoyment this evening. I gave you the dress that you might have a good time, so don't make my gift of no effect.' "'I'll try,' promised Patty, flying downstairs, where her next-door neighbors were waiting for her. At two o'clock that night, Carrie was awakened to see Patty bending over her, flushed and radiant. Carrie sat sleepily up. "'I hope you had a good time,' she said. "'I had. Oh, I had. But I didn't waken you out of your hard-earned slumbers at this wee small hour to tell you that. Carrie, I've thought of a way for you to go to the wedding. It just came to me at supper.' Mrs. Forbes was sitting opposite to me, and her dress suggested it. You must make over Aunt Caroline's silk dress. Nonsense, said Carrie, a little crossly. Even sweet-tempered people are sometimes cross when they are wakened up, for, as it seemed, nothing. It's good plain sense. Of course you must make it over, and, Patty Lee, you're crazy. I wouldn't dream of wearing that hideous thing. Bright green silk with huge yellow brocade flowers as big as cabbages all over it. I think I see myself in it. 
Caddy, listen to me. You know there's enough of that black lace of mother's for the waist, and the big black lace shawl of grandmother Lee's will do for the skirt. Make it over. A plain slip of the silk, gasped Carrie, her quick brain seizing on all the possibilities of the plan. Why didn't I think of it before? It will be just the thing. The greens and yellow will be toned down to a nice shimmer under the black lace. And I'll make cuffs of black velvet with double puffs above, and just cut out a wee bit at the throat with a frill of lace and a band of black velvet ribbon around my neck. Patty Lee, it's an inspiration. Carrie was out of bed by daylight the next morning, and while Patty still slumbered, she mounted to the garret and took Aunt Caroline's silk dress from the chest where it had lain forgotten for three years. Carrie held it up at arm's length and looked at it with amusement. It is certainly ugly, but with the lace over it it will look very different. There's enough of it, anyway, and that skirt is stiff enough to stand alone. Poor Aunt Caroline, I'm afraid I wasn't particularly grateful for her gift at the time, but I really am now. Aunt Caroline, who had given the dress to Carrie three years before, was an old lady of eighty, the aunt of Carrie's father. She had once possessed a snug farm, but in an evil hour she had been persuaded to deed it to her nephew, Edward Curry, whom she had brought up. Poor Aunt Caroline had lived to regret this step, for everyone in Enderby knew that Edward Curry and his wife had repaid her with ingratitude and greed. Carrie, who was named for her, was her favorite grandniece, and often went to see her, though such visits were coldly received by the Currys, who always took especial care never to leave Aunt Caroline alone with any of her relatives. On one occasion when Carrie was there, Aunt Caroline had brought out this silk dress. "'I'm going to give this to you, Carrie,' she said timidly. "'It's a good silk, and not so very old. Mr. Greenlee gave it to me for a birthday present fifteen years ago. Maybe you can make it over for yourself.' Mrs. Edward, who was on duty at the time, sniffed disagreeably, but she said nothing. The dress was of no value in her eyes, for the pattern was so ugly and old-fashioned that none of her smart daughters would have worn it. Had it been otherwise, Aunt Caroline would probably not have been allowed to give it away. Carrie had thanked Aunt Caroline sincerely. If she did not care much for the silk, she at least prized the kindly motive behind the gift. Perhaps she and Patty laughed a little over it as they packed it away in the garret. It was so very ugly, but Carrie thought it was sweet of Aunt Caroline to have given her something. Poor old Aunt Caroline had died soon after, and Carrie had not thought about the silk dress again. She had too many other things to think of, this poor, worried Carrie. After breakfast, Carrie began to rip the skirt-breadths apart. Snip-snip went her scissors while her thoughts roamed far afield, now looking forward with renewed pleasure to Christine's wedding, now dwelling dolefully on the mortgage. Patty, who was washing the dishes, knew just what her thoughts were by the light and shadow on her expressive face. "'Why, what?' exclaimed Carrie suddenly. Patty wheeled about to see Carrie staring at the silk dress like one bewitched. Between the silk and the lining which she had just ripped apart was a twenty-dollar bill, and beside it a sheet of letter-paper covered with writing in a cramped, angular hand, both secured very carefully to the silk. "'Carrie Lee!' gasped Patty. With trembling fingers Carrie snipped away the stitches that held the letter and read it aloud. "'My dear Caroline,' it ran, "'I do not know when you will find this letter and this money, "'but when you do it belongs to you. "'I have a hundred dollars which I always meant to give you "'because you were named for me. "'But Edward and his wife do not know I have it, "'and I don't want them to find out. "'They would not let me give it to you if they knew, "'so I have thought of this way of getting it to you. 
I have sewed five twenty-dollar bills under the lining of this skirt, and they are all yours, with your Aunt Caroline's best love. You were always a good girl, Carrie, and you've worked hard, and I've given Edward enough. Just take this money and use it as you like. Aunt Caroline Greenlee. Carrie Lee, are we both dreaming? gasped Patty. With crimson cheeks, Carrie ripped the other breadths apart, and there were the other four bills. Then she slipped down in a little heap on the sofa cushions and began to cry, happy tears of relief and gladness. "'We can pay the interest,' said Patty, dancing around the room, "'and get yourself a nice new dress for the wedding.' "'Indeed, I won't,' said Carrie, sitting up and laughing through her tears. "'I'll make over this dress and wear it, out of gratitude to the memory of dear Aunt Caroline.'" End of Aunt Caroline's Silk Dress Recording by Crow Girl, caracrow.blogspot.com